Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to look at verses, or chapters 3 through 5 this morning. The title is God is Faithful, and I pray that you know the God who is faithful and that he's proven himself to be faithful to you. One of my favorite gospel quartet songs, I don't know if any of you love gospel quartet, I've heard of gospel quartet. One of my favorite songs is called Step Into the Water. It's by the cathedrals. It goes, the chorus goes, step into the water, wade out a little bit deeper, Wet your feet in the water of his love. Step into the water. Wait out a little bit deeper. Come join angels singing praises to the Lamb of God. Little, little cute little ditty. Just a great little song with some uh, strong words. It's a strong encouragement to Christians to exercise their faith in casting their doubts aside and follow the commands of God. Just step into the water. This song come, came into mind as I was reading Joshua chapters 3 through 5 this week as Joshua was commanded to lead the Hebrew children to cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, their last uh, obstacle before they go, the last barrier before getting into the promised land was the Jordan River and they had to step into the water. Well, last week we read the captivating story of Rahab and the two Hebrew spies she protected from the authorities. Scripture tells us that by faith, she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. She, she found a place in Scripture. And through this narrative, we learn that God can transform the lowliest sinners, amen, of which I am one. We saw that God is involved in our battles. We do not fight along alone. He comes with us. And then we are called to live out our faith in worship, we are called to live out our faith in worship. Now, in today's message, we're going to look at those three chapters, three through five of Joshua, as the Hebrew children stepped into the water of the Jordan River. And they finally enter into the promised land of Canaan after 40 years of wandering the desert. This crossing over begins a new, dangerous, yet exciting new chapter in the redemption story of the Bible. As God once again proves that he is faithful. But before we get into chapters 3 or 4, I want to go back to chapter 1 of Joshua. And if you can do that, just turn back to Joshua chapter 1. And I just want to read some verses here just again to get our mind of what's going on. Starting with verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. So we see that this is God's plan. And then he says in verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. It is yours. You own it, just as I promised to Moses. In verse 4, he goes on, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, speaking of the Mediterranean Sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. It is your own, you own it, it is your possession. No man shall be able to stand before you. Kind of what we were just singing there of God of angels' armies. All the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And this is a, a great promise that we actually find in the New Testament applied to you and I. 
In verse 6, we read, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then drop down to verse 10. This was the promise that he gives them. And then in verse 10, he says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So with that, Father, help us to understand your word. Give us wisdom. Again, as we cover these three chapters and we see that you are faithful, let us see your faithfulness in there. And then how does that apply to us? How, how can we be uh, strong and courageous in our walk, in our journey? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for the book of Joshua. We thank you for these men and women, Father, that, uh, that you redeemed and called to your own. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we come to chapter 3, we read that the three days of preparation are now finished. It is, it is now time to pick up what you have and start moving towards the, uh, the land of Canaan to begin their conquest of Canaan. That had been promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you have to remember that this has been hundreds of years in the making. They might have been wandering the desert for 40 years, but this promise was given to them almost 470 years earlier to Abraham, then to Jacob, or to Isaac, and then to Jacob. They're finally here. They're ready to do it. There's just a fast, there's just a few last instructions as we come to chapter three or chapter three before they cross over. First, we see as you go to Joshua chapter three that they're commanded to keep their eye on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we haven't seen much of the Ark of Covenant for a while here. Uh, we saw it mainly as we worked our way through Exodus, the building of it, and things of that nature. But here we see they're to keep their eye on the covenant as they go and as they travel, as they follow behind. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of your Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it. Remember, if you were to touch the Ark of Covenant, what would happen? You died. Yeah, we've seen this uh, in Scripture. In order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, that's a wonderful last clause there. You have not passed this way before. They were instructed to keep a distance of little more than a, than a half a mile. It's about 0.577 of a mile between them and the ark. The priest would go ahead, leading the way across the Jordan River. And I think the distance one is for protection, but also you're talking about, you have about uh, 3 million, 4 million people so that they could see it in the distance and they would be able to follow it across. Why? Because they were finally going to step on land that they had never stepped on before. Remember, they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years, going to the same water holes, going through the same desert for 40 years, making one camp after another. But here we see, here's a place you've never been. What wonderful words. What a wonderful phrase as God says, I'm about to do something special for you. Secondly, in verse 5, 
We read not only were they commanded to keep an eye on the ark, but they were to get ready to consecrate themselves. As Joshua declares, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They were called to remember their covenant with the Lord and to dedicate themselves to him, to concentrate uh, or to consecrate, excuse me, is to set apart, is to dedicate yourself, is to make yourself holy. They were called to get into the right frame of mind and to keep their focus on the task ahead of them. There was maybe some ritual cleanings and washings they had to do. Thirdly, in verse 7, as we're going through this very quickly of chapter 3, in verse 7, Yahweh promises that he will commend Joshua to the people. In Joshua 3, 7, today, Yahweh promises, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that I, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Remember, be strong, courageous. I know you have a difficult job, Joshua. You've been an assistant now for 40 plus years. It is your turn for the limelight, but don't be concerned. Don't be scared. Be strong, courageous. I'm going to exalt you. And then fourthly, Yahweh confirms that he's going to go before them in battle, driving out the enemy and enable them to cross the Jordan River that would be swollen due to the flooding in verse 9. Look here, he says, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said in verse 10, here, here, excuse me, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. Wouldn't you like that? How do you know that the living God is among you? That's a question people want to know. Is there a God? If so, where is he? Can I talk to him? Can I see him? Can I feel his presence? Here these people are saying, here's how you're going to know that the living God is among you. That he will fail without fail, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites. Now here's their enemies. Here's all the nations they're going to fight. Again, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the coming of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan River, not over the Jordan River, not around the Jordan River, but through into the Jordan. Look at verse 12. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. He's saying there is going to be a miracle happening here very shortly. As soon as the priests step into the water, the water is going to recede from both sides. Flowing one way, the other coming down, it's going to be in a heap. Fifthly, we read, like the Red Sea, the people cross over the Jordan River as its waters roll back, allowing them to walk on dry land. Look at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark and the before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the waters. Now he gives an editorial note here. Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, a city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely what? 
cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. So the Jericho, their first city, we saw this, is where Rahab lives. They're crossing directly across from that. In verse 17, now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel were passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Richard S. Hess, a theologian, has estimated that at the time of the crossing of the Jordan River, it was in the spring of the year, when the river is at its flood stage, even today. And therefore, it's wider than it's normal. It's usually 90 to 100 feet wide, or wide, and, and deeper than, and deep, about 3 to 10 feet deep. At this time, it would have been much more than that during the spring season. This wonderful miracle is reminiscent of their parents' crossing of the Red Sea and their escape from Egypt and Pharaoh's armies 40 years ago. This time, though, they weren't running from an enemy. They weren't running from the Egyptian army. This time, they were the mighty army preparing for battle. Now, as we move to chapter 4, Yahweh has the people pause. As Joshua was commanded to set up 12 stones that would serve as testimony to God's faithfulness. Now, I'm really going to be talking here to parents, especially fathers here this morning. It's because I believe what you and I can gather from this chapter is something that we should be doing for our families. In verse 1, they finally are identified as you look at chapter 1 of verse 4. You see, for the first time, they are identified as a nation of Israel. No longer are they the Hebrew children. No longer are they just a people. They are now identified as a nation for the very first time. And as we move to chapter 3 of verse of chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 3, we read that he, God tells them to take 12 stones from out of the midst of the Jordan River, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. So as the, as the rivers are, 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 are cast aside, they were to grab 12 stones, one man from each tribe, and they were to carry it on the land, and they were to set them on, on top of each other and make like a, a little monument, a little memorial. We read that these 12 stones would serve as memorials or testimonies in two different ways. Look at verse 6 of that chapter. And I'm going to go to my Bible myself. But in chapter 4, look at verse 6. We see at first they're going to be for their children. In verse 6 we read that this may be a sign among you. What's the purpose of these stones? He says, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So the first reason why all the stones were up there is because when people would pass by and say, what in the world is this for? You do that. We walk by and if you, I think there's a couple of you like to go to St. Uh, or not St. Peter, but Peter's Canyon. We like to go to Santiago Oaks and or you go to a memorial park or something and you'll see little monuments. What, what do you normally do? Curiosity gets the best of you and you walk over and you like to read the plaques and see what they are. Has anyone here ever been to Washington, D.C.? And, and went around the Capitol. I've been taking the time just to read it. Fascinating stuff. I love history. So anytime I see those, even when just in a city park, I want to go and see what's going on. In the same way, they were to be a curiosity factor. 
Hey, what are those 12 stones picked up? How many are there? Yeah, there's 12. What are they for? You can tell it's not a natural occurrence. So what are they for? And so that the father would say, well, son, well, daughter, this is what they are. This is to show God's faithfulness. So let me just take a moment. As fathers, specifically, because you are the spiritual leader of your home, but mothers, you're, you're also included as in that parental unit. What are your memorial stones that you're setting up so that your children will ask you, what does this mean? You know, we all, remember when the days when you used to have a photo album? Does anyone have photo albums anymore? Now with, with your phones, there's a few of you. I mean, now with phones and stuff, but you've you got to keep on a cloud. Well, let's go in a cloud and see your family albums. But you used to grab those out. And remember your kids would say, well, what's going on here? Where are you at here? And you would love to tell the stories of where you were to your children. And I, and I do that when we go back to Rockford. I'll, I'll point out things. Of course, they've seen and know it all now. But now to my grandchildren as we drive around, hey, this is this, this is this. And we tell them things that we know, people we knew, people we met, stories that mean much to us. Well, we're to be doing the same thing about God. In other words, we want to bring arouse curiosity in our children about how God has been faithful to us. One of the simple stories that we always tell our children, and I've told the one about you, about the day that we, we took, uh, we needed diapers, right? And I'm not going to go through that whole story. And we wound up with more diapers than, than, than we needed at the time, but we were so thankful for it. Again, God's faithfulness when we were faithful. And so there's those instances. Hey, mom, dad, what about this? Well, let me tell you, this is when God was faithful in doing this. And so this was to arouse the curiosity of their children so that they may teach them about God. And this is what you and I need to do. Instead of just bringing your kids just on Sunday and expecting them to learn a Sunday school lesson and things of that nature, we need to develop ways in which we're teaching our children each and every day just through the mundane things of life. How many often do we just get to dinner? And I, I'm guilty of this. And we get to eat. And also, we, oh, did anyone say their prayers? So then we say a real prayer real quick, right? Right? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub type stuff. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. It's such a routine. But what if we were to take that dinner and take a moment, and I'm speaking to myself here, and make it a little bit more meaningful and remember that this plate of food is God's demonstration of his faithfulness to us. Each and every day, when we breathe, is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Even when we're struggling, even pain reminds us of God's faithfulness to us. Our sufferings, our difficulties, the car that we might have, the house we may live in, always God's faithfulness. So let's find ways to do that each and every day. But not only did the memorial serve as, as a memorial and a teaching and a, a rousing of curiosity for their children, but we also see in verse 24 that it was to outsiders. Look up real quickly to verse 24. Chapter 4 again talks about it. He says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So as outsiders, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, as they would walk along the road and see those 12, what in the world is this? This is not natural. Who built these up? 
What's the purpose of them? Some would say, well, that was the day that Israel crossed over dry land over that very river, swelling over in its banks. It's the time when Israel received the promise of 470 years prior that he would give them a land. In the same way, you and I need a new need memorials. We need to set up ways in which we can share with people that God is faithful. Let your reasonableness, the Bible says, um, uh, be known. Let your reasonableness be known. What is that? That's a memorial stone. Hey, why, why, how in the world are you just living in this world? Why don't you get angry? Why aren't you upset? Why aren't you afraid? Well, God is in control. My God, let me tell you about my God who's been faithful. Let me tell you about the story of the Bible. The prince slays a dragon and wins the girl. Let me tell you real quickly. Hey, aren't you struggling in life? What are you going to do about that job? What are you going to be doing about where you live? Hey, let me tell you what God is faithful. God is faithful. And so he says, these stones have a purpose. And as we go back to verse 14, we read that on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in all of him, just as they stood in all of Moses all the days of his life. Again, God is fulfilling his promise to exalt and cement Joshua as their leaders. God is faithful. He promised uh, Joshua, I will do this. And through the crossing of the Jordan River, the miracle of walking on dry land, God does these things. Chapter 4 closes by stating once again the purposes and the importance of remembering God's mighty wonders and also his merciful kindness as well. In verse 19, when he states, the people came out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. He's giving you a date there. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Gives it a city. Renamed Gilgal. We're going to look at that in a moment. Gilgal means a rolling away or a wheel. They've arrived. The generation of Hebrew children have accomplished what their parents could not. Remember, they were afraid for their children. Our children will be consumed. They will be eat up. They will be like grasshoppers in this land. Now their children are going in as conquerors. They're going in as a mighty army. They're going to be like locusts who comes in and destroys all things and then builds the land up again as God gives it to them. You and I need to recognize this. Their parents could not because they were due to the hardness of their heart and their stiff neck rebellion against Yahweh. Let us remember that God has a plan for our children as well. Then as we go quickly to chapter 5, chapter 5 can be described simply as a celebration. If you're watching, I'm doing alliteration again. I just can't help it, guys. It's the, it's the independent fundamental Baptist in me. It's the celebration as the nation is now standing in the promised land. And there's several things to notice in chapter 5, and we'll go through this quickly. First, in verse 1, you see that the kings hear about the Israel army and the Israel people crossing over the Jordan. And what does it says? And they were very much afraid, and their spirit melted inside them. God is always doing multiple things. He may be giving you a place to stay, but in the same way, it's making someone else say, wow, look what God is doing in their life. Why can't he do that for me? God is always faithful. What we also see is circumcision must be reinstated in verse 5. He talks about grabbing out the flint knives. Cutting is about to take place. 
What's sad to see that for the last 40 years, the Israelite people have not been following what God has called them to do. So now as adults, the adult males now have to suffer for the disobedience of their parents. Once again, they did not follow the practice in the wilderness. We also see the approach is taken away in verse 9. No longer are they considered nomads. No longer are they considered landless or slaves. No, they are people with a possession and ownership of the land. This day could be said to be their July 4th. It is their independence day as they walk into land. Now they still must fight for it, but they now are free from the reproach that Gilgal, as I said, means to wheel or to roll away. And so no longer are they considered slaves from Egypt or former slaves or children of slaves. No, they are considered as a nation, a people of God who own the promised land. Then we see that the Passover observed in verses 10 and 12. And manna ceases to be available. Isn't that something? They come to that first day. God says, now it's time for the Passover. Remember the Passover. And at that time, as they enter into the promised land, guess what ceased? The next day they wake up, there is no manna on the ground. Remember, this has pretty much been their diet for 40 years. Every day they would get up, Monday through Thursday, right? Or Sunday through Thursday, and there would be manna on the ground. On Friday it would be there, but Saturday it wouldn't. Remember, they'd collect two points or two days worth on Friday. But for the first time they get up to go collect, there's no manna. For the very first time, they're now eating of the fruits of the land. Now they can farm. Now they can go to the trees. Now they can go to the fields. And so we see they're eating the food of the land. But then there's something special that happens, verses, verses 13 through 15, that I want to take a moment and just read very quickly because it's a surprise visit. There's a surprise visit. We're in Joshua chapter 5. Look at verse 13. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he was by himself, maybe with a few men, but it looks like he's by himself. And he's looking at Jericho. And he's looking and he knows that's the city I'm going to tackle first. But look what happens. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Somehow somebody had gotten the drop on Joshua. As Joshua was looking, he doesn't recognize or doesn't observe. He doesn't realize that someone else is right beside him. And all of a sudden he looks... And there's a man drawn, standing there with his sword drawn. Now, typically that's a man that says, if you've got your sword out of your sheath, you're ready to do battle. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for your adversaries? Where do you stand? What side are you on? And verse 15. And the man said, no. <laughs> but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Whom shall I fear? Not the God of armies, angel armies. He says, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. So you see this, you think, who is this man? Is it another angel? Is it, is it a king? Is it a special warrior? Is it a mercenary come to fight on their side or against them? No, we see that this is actually Jesus Christ himself. One of his pre-incarnate vision or pre-incarnate uh, visits to 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 our world we see this it says and joshua fell on his face to the earth 
and worshipped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, what does that tell us? Any time that there is an angel that comes, very almost every time the man, the prophet of God, falls down to worship. And what does the angel say? Don't. I'm just an angel. I'm just a servant. But this commander of the armies of God accepts the worship. So we're seeing that this visible expression is Jesus Christ himself thousands of years before he would come and live on the earth. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. Now Moses had a burning bush that was a visible expression of the Almighty God. Remember the burning bush issue? And he said, take off your feet for the feet you're standing on is holy ground. Here is Jesus saying, take off your feet for you are on holy ground. And Joshua did so. This is just a wonderful story. The, unfortunately, it ends there. Because I tell you what, Gary, I can't wait to get to heaven and say, what did you say to Jesus, Joshua? And Joshua, what did Jesus say to you? He probably said, be strong and courageous. I'm here. You see Jericho. You see its high walls, and we're going to see that next week. But I'm telling you, I'm going to knock down those walls. And you're not even going to do anything but march around it. You see, God is here with us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go before you. The presence of Jesus Christ himself is here with him. Now, as we go on, that's just a summary there of the three chapters. Trent Hunter summarizes these passages. When he writes, you'll see it here on there. And I want you to write this down or take a picture on your, on your phone if you can. Do I have this up here? I think I do. He says, at God's command, Joshua led the nation over the Jordan in a way that strengthened their dependence on the Lord and prepared them for what was ahead. Now, you, you can't see it on the screen for the way I did it, but I have underlined the word strengthened and underlined the word prepare. You see, this is what God does. This is how God is faithful. For he is strengthening Israel and he's preparing them. The crossing over the, the Jordan was to strengthen them, be strong and courageous for I am with you, and preparing them to trust that he is there. And I would say that's the same thing that God does for you today. There are ways in which God is strengthening your dependence on him and preparing you for what's ahead. And I believe many of you need this. I know that I do because right now sometimes things look very dire in our lives. Some of you are facing some very tough struggles ahead. But I want you to know that he is strengthening you dependence on him. Many times we feel that I'm working, I'm doing all the hard things, I'm doing everything, I can do this. And he has to take our strength away sometimes so that we can see that truly we are weak and that it is God who is doing things in our lives. Why? Because he's preparing us in our lives. See, God strengthens and prepares them by displaying his faithfulness. Trust me, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Follow after the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, the banks of the Jordan are, 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 are uh, flowing over. Now, look back at that story. The priests did not wait for the Jordan River to be parted before they stepped. They stepped in when it was still very wet. It wasn't until they stepped in 
did the waters recede? In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, you'll see this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let me tell you, fathers, this is one of those stalwarts. These are one of those memorial stones that need to be in your marriage, in your relationships, and with your children. That God is God and that he is a faithful God. God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. One other note here, you may see this, you may want to write this down. Wayne Grumman writes that God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he said and fulfill what he has promised. Amen? Again, would you read that out loud with me? Ready? Read this out loud with me. Ready? God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he said and fulfill what he has promised. Go back to Matthew 6. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. God knows you need him. Sufficient is the worries of the day. He's faithful. He'll provide all that you need. We'll look at some other ways in which God is faithful. But God is faithful. He's a promise-keeping. He's a promise-making God. Through the events of chapters 3 through 5, Yahweh demonstrates his faithfulness from earlier when he declared, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So many of you need to have that tattooed backwards on your head so that when you looked in the mirror, you can read that. But please don't get tattoos. I am not asking you to do that. But if you were to get tattooed, that would be a good one. Be not dismayed. Do not be frightened. For God is with you. I will never leave you and forsake you. That ought to be a theme of your family. If you're a craft person, you should make that up and put it as a magnet on your refrigerator. It should be on the outside of your door and the inside of the door. Just as Deuteronomy Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because he is a faithful God. He is more faithful than the government. He's more faithful than any social program. He's more faithful than any TV program that comes on at any particular time. He is faithful. Okay, a few of you. In the same way that God has called them to be strong and courageous due to his faithfulness and keeping his promises, he has called us to be strong and courageous and follow him. Just as God is strengthening and preparing the nation of Israel for what lies ahead in their journey, so God is strengthening and preparing us for our sanctification journey. Again, sanctification, a big word. It just means freer from sin and more like Christ. That's Once we get saved, what we're living in life is trying to become more like Christ. Exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit and everything that happens in our life, every circumstance, every incident, is, is not some coincidence. It's not some fluke of, uh, flute of, what's the word? What's that phrase? Fluke? And something of luck? I can't get it. These are God-ordained moments in our life to strengthen our dependence on him, to realize that I cannot do it without him, and to do it without him is futile. But also to recognize that all of our suffering, all of the pains that we go through, even the joys of life, all of these are to prepare us to be more like him. And then to pass that down to our children. 
You may ask, well, how is God faithful to us today? I tell you, I'm struggling. Have you ever struggled? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever struggled with the thought that God is faithful? God has given you some very difficult battles to go through, some very tough sufferings. We always want God to take care of our suffering, right? Take it away. And God says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you the strength to endure it. Boy, that's not, a, that's not an answer prayer that anyone wants to hear. But God is faithful. So how is God faithful to us today? Let me just give you a few. It's not a whole bunch of them. It's just a few. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, we read that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship. How is God faithful? By drawing us to himself, by redeeming us, by, by taking those that are God's children and making us part of the fellowship of God. So if you are here this morning, you've seen God's faithfulness in gathering his flock together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, you'll see this on the screen, encourages us that no temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond ability. So what do we see here? God is faithful is that you will not be tempted above your ability to say no. Now, it doesn't seem like that in the moment, but that's what he says. But he also says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to what? Endure it. God is faithful. He doesn't leave you without resources. He has given us all that we need to, uh, to pertain, that pertains to life and godliness. But John, the beloved disciple, Promises us in 1 John 1, 9 that if we do sin, if we do not see the way of escape, and if we do not take it, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not because of who we are, but because of God. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3.3 that the Lord is faithful. He will do two things. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Rooted and built up and stepped to where you cannot be pushed over. Any of you old enough to remember Weebles Wobbles? Weebles Wobbles, but they don't fall down? I think we're Christian Weeble Wobbles, Right? We're all over the place, but you know what? We always get back up because God is faithful. Lastly, knowing our failness and our tendency to sin, the Holy Spirit states in 2 Timothy 11 through 13 here on the monitor that this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will what? Live with him, amen? If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. I, I think you might have gotten the theme of today's message by now, right? God is faithful. We are to celebrate. We are to, to set ourselves apart, recognizing that he is faithful and he is strengthening us and preparing us through his faithfulness till that day that he comes and takes us home or, or by God's grace, we, 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 we retire on this earth and, and are with him in heaven. Now, just as God calls the nation of Israel to set up memorials 
and to observe some ordinances to remind them of his faithfulness. So they were very much symbolic people. We, we are not as symbolic. Uh, if you come from the Catholic tradition or from the Eastern Orthodox or some other traditions like that, they have more symbolism. That, that, there's some good things about that. There's some negative things about that. But, but there are some ordinances or some memorials that God gave Israel to say, these are the things that point to my faithfulness. In the same way, He's given us the same type of ordinances that we may to do. We're going to do one here in a moment in which your children ask, why do we do this? You say, because God is faithful. Here's three of them. First was the circumcision of Israel that we saw. They were to circumcise their children. That was to show their obedience to the physical act of cutting off of the flesh of their male sons as a sign of the covenant. This is a sign. Why are you doing this? Why am I like this? Because it's a sign of our covenant. Now, many other countries and nations, even back during those times, practiced circumcision. It was not just a Jewish event, if you go back through history. And even today, uh, many people, many cultures practice it. But in those days, it was a sign of the covenant of God. Today, however, God has called us not to just circumcise our flesh, but to circumcise our hearts. In the crucifixion, we read that Christ was cut off for us. Philippians says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. For Jews many times would say, see, I'm circumcised in the flesh. So look at me. But God says that means nothing any longer. For I look to see if the heart has been circumcised. In Colossians 2, it says in him, speaking of in Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but by the Holy Spirit, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised. So for you and I, it's not circumcision that's a sign of the covenant, but it is now baptism has now taken that place. And we were able to celebrate that several weeks ago. And what was it? That was an outward expression of an inward dedication, of an inward commitment. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. So when we have baptisms, what do we do? What ch do your children grow up? Why do we baptize? Because we're showing that God is faithful. The second one was the Passover, as we saw in this passage. You might remember the Passover was first instituted on the last night of Israel's stay in Egypt back in Exodus, when the angel of the Lord killed all of the firstborn males in Egypt, men and uh, um, animals. They were to slaughter, the Israelites were to slaughter an innocent unblemished lamb, put its blood on its door and observe a meal together and the angel of the Lord would pass over that blood. This was then expanded as observance once a year for the whole nation as we get into Leviticus. It was to remind them of God's faithfulness in delivering them from Egypt. Today, you and I have been instructed to observe that day, but through the Lord's Supper or what we Lord's Communion. 1 Corinthians says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So his kids say, why are we doing this? Why can I not yet participate in the Lord's Supper? Again, God is faithful and this is what it means. It is one of the memorial stones that you and I have. Then the third one, though, is a little bit difficult. More, 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 more something that we don't understand as well. And that's the Ark of the Covenant. That was the other uh, symbolism there that's found in those chapters. 
The Ark of the Covenant was was a specially built container. And as you recall, it held the original tablets of the law that Moses had made, or at least the second one, the ones that he didn't throw down in terror or break. It contained Aaron's rod that budded. I don't know if you remember that portion of scripture. And a sampling of manna. It had some manna in there. It was ordinarily created according to Yahweh's personal instructions, specific instructions. It was a sacred symbol of God's presence among the people. As the Ark of the Covenant, as it went before the people, it was to remind them that God is faithful. He is with us. The Ark of the Covenant, as we go through Joshua and then further on through the rest of the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant always went before them in battle. Now, today we may have tanks. We may have uh, the Air Force or the Navy or bombs going, and then the army comes in. Well, here, the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because it was the presence of God. It was the sacred symbol of God's presence among the people. Now, today, the Ark is no longer needed as Christ has become the visible image of the invisible God. In John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory, as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the father except through me. As the commander of the Lord's armies, he is now presence with us. That fourth is that divine warrior. Here in our passage, we read of the pre-incarnate son of God who comes as the commander of the army of the Lord with his sword unsheathed and ready for battle. This has encouraged Joshua that God is always with them. Today, you and I have that same promise. As Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, he is now praying for you and I personally in the abode at the right-hand throne of God. And as we worship here today, each and every one of us proclaim that Jesus is Lord's testimony. Your kids may say, why do we have to go? I mean, I'm so thankful that you're here because this is July 4th. This is a holiday where you could be anywhere, right? Everyone's doing something today. But you're, you're, you're here and when your children say, why are we going to church and not Disneyland and not this? It's because church is important because this is where the good people of God are gathered together to hear the words of God. And let me share with you, I know this may be sound harsh, but when you take your family out of services, when you are not here, you are telling your children, there are things more important than being with God and God's people and hearing God's word. That is what you are saying, whether you are meaning to say it or not. And that's a harsh word that we need to hear. And we need to internalize. We need to recognize that God has called us to gather, to gather, to cross over together, to worship together. So do we, what do we do with these passages? We're called to remember the faithfulness of God, understanding that God is strengthening and preparing us for the battle against sin and to faithfully follow him. And that's what we do when we come together. Again, I want to encourage you, you're not alone. For God is faithful. And he works among his people. The answer to your problem may be found right here. As God has prepared another saint, brother or sister in Christ, to help meet your needs or to help you with wisdom, to help you make decisions. Maybe to just meet the very need that you have even if it's just to pray and encourage and to love you. He is faithful. And just as God is faithful, you and I are to be faithful. Let me give you some things real quickly. You and I need to recognize that one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of God's saving grace, is that he gives us to be faithful. Faithful. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. He's called you and I to be faithful to him. To faithful to be, uh, to follow his words. When he said, follow the priest into the water, you follow the priest into the water. You step into it. When he calls us to grab up stones and to set up memorials, we're to, call, we're to grab a stone and set up memorials. When he says to consecrate yourselves, we are to consecrate ourselves. First Corinthians, we see that we, it's, that we are regarded as servants of Christ and stewards and says it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. You have a gift that God has given you, a spiritual gift. You may not know what that is. If not, please let me know. Me and the elders, we'd love to sit down with you and help you to find out what your spiritual gift. And the other reason why you're to be here is to use that spiritual gift to build up the body of God. It's not a superpower that you get to just make yourself more superpowered and more popular or to have more authority. But it's for you to use for others. In 1 Peter, he says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Never despair, no matter what type of suffering you're going through. Be faithful to God. Sometimes our complaint is God isn't faithful. He's not providing for us. He's given us a very difficult road. And so we become faithless in our worship. But he's called us to be faithful. Then Hebrews 10, let me end with this. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to your faith. Don't let the storms of this life push you off. Don't let it derail you from worshiping, from being faithful. But recognize that you and I are to hold fast to the word of God and his promises. Why? Because God is, God is faithful. If every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask Randy to come on up at this time. As well as, oh, we'll just brand, or, I'm sorry, I've got to remember what I'm doing here is Randy. Let us be thankful for a faithful and merciful God. Let's take a moment to pause and consider how God has been faithful in our lives, to pray and respond to that faithfulness. Randy, would you come and share with us your pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.